Rookie Designer. My name is Jake from Graphic Precision, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl, from Holy Carp Design. How are you doing, Carl? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. So we had a week off, but uh, I know both of us have been extremely busy, so we needed that week to kind of get through some things, and we're back this week. So why don't we jump right into design news? So what do you got this week? So this popped up maybe a week and a half ago. Um, in the review journal business uh, section, Weight Watchers is changing its name to focus on wellness and not dieting. So Weight Watchers is going on a diet. <laughs> oh, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, so now uh, you need to use that slow clap emoji that's in Skype now, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right, so... Um, wellness. Wellness is good, and wellness can incorporate a whole bunch of things um, uh, under their brand. I mean, hopefully they're talking about wellness of the whole body, mind, and spirit, which would be interesting. Now, I don't know what their brand is going to be if they're not Weight Watchers, but they've introduced a new logo. Now, this logo is a W uh, that is uh, bold font. Um, Sansara and Stack. Now, you're familiar with the FedEx logo, right? Yeah. Yeah. How there's an arrow that's created when you ah. put the E and X together. Yeah, right now I'm reading vampires in this logo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could see that too. But I do find it interesting that if you get away from the vampires and you look at how many down arrows there are as opposed to up arrows that that still kind of fits that losing weight mentality, maybe? But, so, from what uh, I can... Wrong, s- wrong font. Wrong font for weight loss. Wrong that, font for that wellness, is true. That is true. That is true. But what I, what I find really interesting is that they trim their name to two letters. Like, they are no longer Weight Watchers. They are WW. Like, do yes. they realize how ridiculous that is to say? Well, the, they have WW um, also for their website, but when, when it re- redirects, it's still WeightWatchers.com. So they own WW.com? I believe so. Let me just... Yeah. So basically, when somebody says, what is your website? And they go, www.ww.com. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and you want to know what's even worse? Um, the article shows a logo. And it's a really bright blue. And then when you go on the website, the blue that's being shown is this really deep. Almost a uh, purple. Purple, blue, navy blue, um, in, at least in the logo. You um, notice how pixelated that is, too? Yeah. And they're using <laughs> um, both blues, actually, throughout the site. So good on them for using these uh, analogous colors. Um, Analogous being on the same side of the color wheel for anyone that doesn't know. Um, but they're also using all of these um, kind of generic um, uh, icons that I can pull from uh, Big Stock, which is one of the sources that I use when I need quick quick icons. Um, are they... I just don't know what their approach for wellness is. Maybe they're trying to launch this app that they're trying to do, like... Well, I think they're trying to get away from just being food-related and just being... They, they, my, my understanding is they're trying to get away from the term dieting. 
They don't want people to say that it's a diet. And I know that some of the other wellness brands out there that are like shake for like shakes for meal replacement stuff like that they talk about that it's not a diet it's a lifestyle change yeah and i'm i'm familiar with that because um the one that i had hopped on uh to get my wellness taken care of is optavia which is uh, or optavia i forget how they pronounce it but it's optimal life because via being life in french yeah um and their logo makes sense because it's kind of this roundabout uh, shape that goes around a circle and it kind of gets thinner as it goes around. So it's, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, They're trying to promote alt, uh, optimal health. So Yeah, I'll be curious to see where this goes. I think that's kind of what Weight Watchers or WW is trying to do is they're trying to incorporate more than just healthy eating they're probably going i would think going into more some mental health issues um lifestyle changes like not drinking as much not smoking like they're probably going to incorporate a lot more stuff other than just the food side of things but from what i could see there's i mean their website is still very prominent to the food end of it so i I, it's interesting i i think brands sometimes when they are big like this they tend to feel like they need to rebrand to stay relevant and i almost get the feeling that's kind of this is more of a pr stunt than anything else to really push the brand up top again but as i could see we can blame oprah for this because apparently she made such a large investment in weight watchers that that's what caused some of this so we'll just say it's oprah's fault now, wasn't their last logo like Revenge of the Crescent Swooch? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> All right, this one may be marginally better then. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a bad logo. I just think it's it's kind of blah. Like, it's just two W's in a circle. Like, come on, like, give me something more unique. So, so one of the things um, I look for in a logo is what the inherent concept is. Um I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing cohesion here. I'm not seeing... I'm sorry. I'm seeing vampires. <laughs> you just can't get past that, can you? I see the teeth. And it's Halloween. So... I was going to say it. I, I was thinking like uh, Jack-O-Lantern too a little bit when I looked at it. So it's like I could, I could definitely see why you're... I, the vampire thing's hilarious though. I, I don't know. I'm curious if... if what you guys think about this check it out at the show notes and the show notes are going to be at rookiedesigner.com slash rd178 because this is episode 178 so i'll be curious to hear what you guys think uh leave us a message on facebook or you can shoot us an email um and go to the website and find that information at rookiedesigner.com so the other news item we want to talk about and, and i would be surprised if People haven't heard about this because it was such a big deal. Um, basically, um, Bankskeep had a piece of artwork that was up for auction, and it ended up getting to the point where it outbid his other highest, which was from 2008. And the best part, and I want to know how he did this, but as soon as he the, the hammer came down that it was closed... 
the sucker shredded half of itself. It literally fell in the frame and started to shred itself. And I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. It totally fits his style of anonymity and just being kind of a prankster. And obviously the graffiti is part of that too. But I just thought it was absolutely amazing that he did this. And if you haven't seen the video, the video is the best because we're talking about a whole bunch of nose up in the air, like stuck up people in this ridiculous contemporary art area that see this happen. And you could just see on their face that none of them really believed that it was actually happening. They, they couldn't believe that somebody just paid $1.4 million dollars or pounds, I can't remember. I think it was it was $1.4 million, and then it was some conversion to pounds. But they couldn't believe that this was actually happening, and it was hilarious to see some of the expressions. The best thing were the people standing right next to it that seemed completely oblivious to what was going on. Um, and then the other thing that I've heard some people talk about in other podcasts and stuff is, so now are all pieces of artwork going to have to go through metal detectors and all this other stuff to make sure that this doesn't happen again. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely brilliant. It, it was hilarious. And I, I have a lot of respect for this person because nobody has ever seen the person. Nobody really knows who the person is. There's a huge conspiracy that there may be more than one person involved with this. But his artwork is absolutely amazing, and it, and you can it's all over the place. But I just find it absolutely amazing that he redid this piece of artwork. So I believe the girl with the red balloon is actually somewhere in London. And one of the things that somebody wrote about him was, and I say him, but we're not even sure if that's the case, that he gets upset when people cut his artwork out of a building. So if he puts the artwork up on the side of a building and they cut the wall out of the building and sell that for a ridiculous amount of money because he's like, that's not why I do it. I do it so that it could be public artwork. So he actually redid this one as a painting so that they wouldn't do that to the one that I believe is in London. But for him to go and shred it afterwards was absolutely hilarious. But the big thing is I want to know how, whether he was there or whether it was sound activated or how he did this to make it happen. It was the best thing to see happen. Yeah, and, and, it could have been like a remote. It could have been, you know, what's funny though is that particular piece uh, I've read is probably worth double now because of the story and because Banksy did it and because, you know, he he made a statement and the art market is all about the statement that you're making. And so this other moron wanted to have the same fortune and had one of the 600 prints and that are worth either half a million dollars or $50,000. And they actually cut it the same way with their own exacto and whatnot. And their half million dollar print uh, became a dollar fifty. <laughs> um, you, you'll see those reports on the news as well. That's but now to me, that serves that person right because one yeah. you're not original you're trying to copy something somebody else did and you're trying to copy what the original artist did so basically you're trying to rip off the original artist so i think he wins in both cases he made a statement by shredding that and then he wins in the other case because he makes the other person look like a moron for doing the same thing <laughs> yeah 
yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to the the article about it, and I'll see if I can find a really good video of, of the expressions people had when it was happening. It was it was great. So we'll put those those things in the show notes, and let's just. We're not really going to have a topic today. I would say it's probably more like story time. But podge, podge. <laughs> so I've got a couple things that I was saying to Carl. It'd be fun to share that have happened recently. Um, one of them's not fun per se, but it's, I think it's interesting and in how I had to deal with some stuff. So we'll start with that one first. So I part of a marketing project that I was working on for a nonprofit locally was to help them do interviews. And they're a senior services nonprofit, so they offer transportation, they offer programs, things like that for people that are 55 and older. And so one of the things we decided to do was to do interviews with individuals who had either come to classes or had used the transportation, things like that. And I had never really done an interview-style set up before and I really video is not really my big background but I decided hey you know this would be a fun side project to do it's a client of mine it's a really good client and they were willing to give me the shot say hey you know why don't you try this and see how it comes out see what if you like doing it we'll do more of them and so we set up the first interview and it was really cool because it was actually done in the library at the senior uh, residential place that the organization was also 50% owner of. And so they, they were, it was really cool. It was a beautiful library, really cool setup. Um, the individual was awesome. He was a really, really nice guy. A really cool story because we found out, well, he was 91 years old. So we found out the organization is about 115 or 120 years old. And so we found out he was a paper boy in the original home that, the organization had a long time ago. Then we found out that he, when he ran for mayor of the town, his campaign office was the exact same place that the, the nonprofit is in right now. So like he came in to talk to them about the transportation program, which is why he was being interviewed. And he was like, holy cow, this is exactly where I ran my campaign. So it was really cool that he had that connection as well. And then he utilized the transportation program when he was no longer able to drive. And then he also lived in the residential that was owned by half the nonprofit. So it was just neat to see all these different points that he was involved with. And boy, could the guy talk. Like, it's amazing what the stories he would tell about how his both his parents were immigrants and his dad was a contractor and worked on one of the first bridges over a major river here that's like one of the only ways in and out of the city. And so it was really cool to hear that. And then he worked on like these arch windows that had like a sunray pattern to them in the building next door to where the nonprofit is. So it's just, it was neat to hear all these different stories. And like I said, the guy could talk forever. So I think I had hour and a half, two hours of footage. And I, I cut it down to 10 minutes because there was a lot of stuff that he talked about that had nothing to do with what we were interviewing him for. It was all stuff that he just would go on and ramble about something and we just let him go. So I'm finishing up this video and it, it took me longer than it probably should have. It just, because it's not something I'm fluent in, it took me a lot longer to, to do it. And <laughs> we just about got it done and I get an 
uh, email from the executive director to not post the video. And I was like, oh, okay. Right, maybe they decided that they want to add to it or something. She's like, no, unfortunately, the person we interviewed passed away. I was like, what? Yeah. Now, I will tell you, at 91, that's not surprising. I mean, he was 91 years old. It, it, we, we knew he wasn't going to be around for a long time. But I never would have thought, even working on the video, he didn't... Like, I forgot he was 91. And he literally passed away like a week before his 92nd birthday. So it was like, it, he was not young, but personality-wise, he definitely was. So it just... It was definitely heartbreaking because he never got to see the video. And one of the things I made a decision to do is I went to his viewing to meet his family and to tell them that, hey, you know, I have this footage. I'll send you the rest of the footage so you have it. And what was really heartbreaking was to hear from one of his relatives that he was actually asking about the video in the hospital days before he passed away. And it's like, Damn it, I wish I had known that because we would have gotten a copy to him. But it was unexpected. Like, we, we knew he had dialysis and stuff like that, but we didn't expect it to be that way. So it was it was unfortunate, but I had to basically say, okay, we're going to hold on to the video. We sent it to the family. Now, they've given us permission to post it. They thought it was a great video and someone is sure. But it just it made me realize that sometimes you got to think about that stuff that you got to think about what's going to happen to stuff that you work on down the road kind of put things in perspective but i think what was more interesting to me is now i have this footage that we could share with the family and say hey you know here's some stuff you can have where he shares memories of being in the area and what he did in his adult life and but it, it was definitely a uh Shocker, it is the first time I've had a project. It's funny, I say it's the first time I've had a project to do something weird on me like that, but it's not, because I had another project that got put on hold because of something that happened in an African country. So, I've been having some really weird stuff go on with projects I'm working on lately. What about those ones where you're working with a larger client and the person that is your contact is either fired, quit, left under whatever circumstances, but the project still has a little life in it, maybe, or other people may still want you to use it. I mean, for you, I'm wondering, will the family um, endorse and allow the project to be released at some point, maybe with a dedication prior to the video, as the client kind of nicks that thing and let it just live in the archives? They, it's funny. They, I was wondering what was going to happen with that, too, and with talking to the executive director, she did get permission to have the video put up and they, they were very much in favor of it being shared. But I think there was a little bit of hesitation from the executive director because it is, a, it, he was a very prominent guy in the area. So a lot of people you talk to were like, Oh yeah. Okay. I know who that is, whether they knew him personally or not. So it is kind of that mixed feelings. Like you don't want to feel like you're, sensationalizing him to bring eyeballs to the organization but at the same time 
as long as the family endorses it and says, yeah, we we do want you to do it. So I could see where the executive director had some mixed feelings. So we did decide that we are going to put a dedication to him at some point in the video. And I, so I got to work on that, but yeah, it, it's funny because it really was an interesting situation to have happen. And it also made me realize that procrastination is really damn evil. And I had procrastinated a little bit on this project and there is a, a twinge of guilt where I should have had this done a little while ago, but that probably would not have changed the outcome. He still would have passed away and it still would have been awkward. So it was a really strange thing to have happen. Yeah, that's, that's tough. But going back Um, to what you were saying about somebody that you're working with that either leaves a company or gets fired or whatever passes away or or passes away, which which actually, we had another one happen in the paper I work on. Well, we ran an ad for somebody that was no longer with us. So in the ad, they actually talked about people who worked in the company. Well, we ran the ad because we ran it last year at, at that time and sent it to them as a proof. And they, they just sometimes if somebody doesn't respond, we've already done our due diligence. We've sent them the proof. We ran the ad and we found out the person was no longer alive. So we no longer run their ads unless somebody responds because that was another really awkward thing to have happen. But it it is interesting when, when somebody does leave a company and you have a project that you're working on and you wonder if it's going to be passed on well, how your relationship with that person's going to be. And it, so, yeah, it's really interesting. I haven't had it happen too much, but it has happened from time to time where somebody will leave a company or, or be fired or something and I have to continue a project. I mean, how has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. The, when you're working with um, some of these larger corporations, like within certain departments, you may have a point of contact that either will approve your invoices or maybe they're the client uh, internally. Um, if the client internally leaves, then your project is handed off and you you at that point become the expert yeah. on the client's needs because they're going to lean on you to do an awful lot. And I've had that happen with one particular client every year. I'm either, they either put an intern in charge of the particular project that I'm doing and the intern just moves on or they, they flip around some of the executives to different departments under the, the, the massive uh, corporation that they're in. So it's, you're the expert and you're the name that they come to year after year. And so that's kind of nice. And then someone else out there in the world has your name and they come calling later. Yeah. So you yeah. now have a larger client base, which is great. I just got called today from someone I worked with eight years ago for a project. So that's cool. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. It um, is interesting when they leave because you can pick up wherever they go. You may be the person that they call. And that's why it's important to have really good relationships with your clients because you never know what it could lead to down the road if it's them going to a different company. I mean, you hear about it all the time in big tech companies and stuff where yeah. somebody will jump from, say, Apple to Google, and then all of a sudden these other people follow them because that's who they want to work with. So it is good to have – obviously, that's an extreme case, but it is good to have those good relationships. But also when there's someone that is writing um, 
signing your checks, so to speak, or approving your invoices, if they're out, you need to re re up with the yeah, the next person in mind to see if they can get the approvals. Because uh, ultimately, you need someone in the company with an awareness of what you're doing, what you charge, and that you can get paid to do that work. And so I've dealt with both of those issues. Yeah, because it's like you don't want a lot of hands in the pot, but sometimes it is good to make sure that it's not just one-on-one when you're dealing with a company because if that person leaves, then somebody else steps in and they have no idea. Because say it's on bad terms. Say that person just throws their hands up in the air one day and walks out and doesn't pass information on or do any of that stuff. That could be a really tricky situation for you because the new person's already dealing with a lot of headaches of, oh my God, what do I have to do? And, and where am I going with any of this? So it is good to make sure that you keep that communication going. And if you notice that there's a, a lag there and you're not getting anything back, to, to make sure you have other alternate ways to get to somebody in that company. But at the same right. time, you don't want 600 people with their hands in the same project. And, and when you see one executive leave, if it's the top executive who put all of their people in, sometimes you'll see the whole executive team leave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So at that point, you're relying on your relationships within the mid-tier of the company to praise your work back up to the new executives. Yep. Yeah, because like I said, a lot of those executives may pull in their own people that they've worked with, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll stay on. But again, that's why it's important to have those contracts too, because that way that executive can't just come in and say, oh, well, I don't want to work with you. You could push back and say, well, your company has a contract with me for the next six months. Like you can't, if you nix this, then you're going to have to pay me this amount of money because that's what we agreed with in the contract. So it is good to have that as well. And definitely have signatures on those contracts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, don't just have them send you back the contract. <laughs> I've had that happen too, where it's like, um, you're supposed to sign this, you know. <laughs> so speaking of contracts, I am, um, I'm working on basically a bid now. Um, so this is my segue into my story. Um, keep your client relationships open because sometimes they come back like I said, eight years later, or maybe it's a a few months later. Um, It's always good to kind of check in with the clients, especially if they're print clients, because if you're the only source for their printing and they haven't printed in a while, reach out, see see what's up. But this particular client, um, I've been working on making webinar productions for um, Adobe Connect, which is one of the new services I'm trying to offer my clients because I'm now basically a seasoned professional in both in uh, webinar producing, that's the tech support and the, uh, you know, being the, the MC, so to speak, as well as asset production. Right. And this one is going to be um, a role of creating digital assets based off what the client will storyboard. This is an adult learning type of um, platform and delivery. So I'm presently working through what, what should that contract look like? What do I want? to put into it and how much to charge. Cause this is my first real foray into con not being a subcontractor, but being the true contractor for this. Right. Right. So, um, things to consider. Um, I'm thinking of outlining, um, the project, you know, how, as I understand it, uh, they have four different phases for it. So we'll, we'll 
do it as an incremental phase, you know, webinar one, two, three, and four. Um, deliverables, outlining those deliverables so that there's an understanding of what you're actually doing, uh, what the assets will look like, uh, what level of service you can offer as part of that design, and then what may be added extras for later. Um, and then ultimately, what you're charging and how you're charging. Since this is four deliveries, I'm going to price it as four separate things, but I'm also going to have a deposit for that first one so that I know um, they're serious about getting that started. Now, the deposit thing is what's relatively new for me. I'm working on a logo project right now where I got a deposit ahead of doing the project. And that's not been my habit. My habit has always been... Um, waiting until they're happy with the work and charging them afterwards. But that doesn't butter your bread. You no, need a and that's, of yeah, that's, that's something that I think a lot of designers, because we always think that when I go to the store and I buy my bread, thank you, bread, I buy the physical bread after it's cooked and it's baked and it's in its plastic and I go up to the store and I pay that money. That store, I, I don't, put a deposit down a week before that bread gets here to buy that bread. So I think that's where that mentality comes from is from the retail side of I don't put a deposit down before I, I get my product. I, I decide, okay, I want to buy something. I buy it. I pay for it then. And the manufacturer has to put all this money up front and all this time and all this product up front before they get paid. That's a dangerous place to be when it comes to intellectual property and it comes to creative services because, number one, like you just said, how do you make sure somebody is very serious about hiring you and is very right. serious about this project? Ask for that deposit because the minute you ask for that deposit, that will put a switch on their head to say, am I serious about this or am I just hoping that I can get away with something? But also, like you said, you need the influx of cash too. Like if if you always wait till you're done, you're spending a lot of time and a lot of resources hoping you. Because the other problem you run into is, say you do net thirty with a client. Well, now you're done with the project, and now you're thirty days after that getting paid. So it really is important. Done that deadline by yeah. just ignoring yeah. emails. That's <laughs> yeah. happened before. Yeah, and and. Um, and you need to make sure that that deposit is non-refundable. Yes, and absolutely. You need to spell that out into your into your contract too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've been fortunate. I haven't had a lot of situations where something's been canceled on me. So, I it is important to have. It's funny because I'm thinking back, and I've I've had one instance where. I was working on a logo project and they decided to go in a different direction and they did not get their deposit back. No complaints. No, they, they actually followed to the letter what my contract said and sent me a certified letter that said, we are, we've decided to go a different direction. And I was like, well, that was a smack in the face. But at the same time, wow, my contract actually worked. <laughs> so it was like, it was all spelled out and they followed the rules. So, right. Which is good, awesome. Good on them. Yeah, it was like, good on them. Sucks I don't have to do the project anymore, but but at least that Does was... Does it, though? <laughs> I know. Well, that's, yes. I'll be honest with you. Part of me was kind of glad that one went away. But I have had... 
I have had a deposit given to me for a project that never started. Really? Like they sent me a check and they disappeared. Oh. And I was so, like. So I would love to ask a legal expert. Um, what do you do with that? How long do you, are you under obligation to refund that? Or, I mean, given the terms of your contract, you may not have to refund it. Right. It's on them. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, that was a weird one because they gave me basically everything I needed for like a creative brief. We came up with uh -huh. the contract. They gave me the deposit and then kind of went, Oh, yeah, they went MIA on me and basically ignored my emails, ignored my phone calls. I even went in and stopped into the store and said, okay, we need the stuff I need from you. And again, I was kind of like, at what point do I stop doing this? Because I'm not going to chase for months and months and months and months. I've tried. Like, I've done everything I can do, but they're just not, not moving forward with it. Did they give you a blank stare or something? No, it was always, I'll get you that, I'll get you that, I'll get you that. And you're like, yeah, you said that six months ago. He said that three months ago. Like, at what point are you going to send me stuff? And it got to the point where I was like, I've tried. I'm not going to go in there every month and be like, hey, I need this information. Now, it would be absolutely hilarious to go in now five years later and be like, so did you send me that stuff yet? Uh, five years later, you don't want to touch that project. <laughs> no, you don't. I have a feeling that business is not there anymore either. So, so probably because they didn't have a proper logo. <laughs> so, what I think is interesting is you you're getting into this realm where you're now doing this stuff that you've done, like you've done the webinar stuff, you've done the assets in a different capacity, but now you're having to kind of rework your contract and rework how you're doing it. Do you feel like you're comfortable with where you want your pricing to be? Or do you think that's still something where you're kind of like, I know what I was charging for the other people, but that was in a different situation. Cause what I'm wondering is, do you sit there and say, okay, I'm going to write a contract for one webinar. And I know there's four there's three others coming, but we'll write it for the first one so that if I have to sit there and be like, hey, you know, that took way longer than it should have, or do you feel like having done the other stuff, you're stepping into this and really have it played out to say, okay, I know what I need to have for these steps, and so I know what I need to charge? I pretty much know what I need to charge because these are, when you're doing a webinar in Adobe Connect, um, you're talking layouts, that transition that I had shown you before. And you know the time span that each one of these uh, webinars is going to be. So you know basically what the maximum of that number of layouts is going to be. Okay. So you're thinking, all right, this is going to probably be a 30 to 60 slide PowerPoint deck that's broken up into all these different layouts, depending on what they're actually teaching or what the, the skill transfer is. Um, so I have an, uh, a rough idea, and I, I think that it's minimum eight hours, maximum 16. Right. Um, and like you said, or like like the I've heard before, when you're working on estimating things, always estimate it as twice as much and twice as long, right? Yeah. So I'm kind yeah. of building that into my structure. And 
you know, I'll probably hit at, I'll probably build them at either 75 to 100% of my estimate of time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, how I'm thinking I, about it. Yeah, because that's what I was wondering, because I know, now, because I know people struggle with that. They struggle with, obviously, how much to charge somebody, but they also struggle with how do you figure that out. Now, do you find that what you what you know now obviously comes from experience, but when you were doing webinars and stuff, did you actually sit down and say, okay, I'm going to keep track of how long one of these takes? And yes, kind of- and that that's basically by design for the client, the system I was working within. Um, when I worked for the company that is one of my clients, we would track hourly time because it was billable to the client or it was... Okay under a product design uh, bucket. So uh, since I'm still within that client system, I have access to my timesheets and all of these things that I nice. kind of research. Plus I've done it outside too. So I do know the amount of time sink into varying degrees. Plus I also know that the client that I'm doing this bid for, me and him have a particular cadence and I know how well we work together. He I know that he'll give me a storyboard and I'll be asked to rebrand it and build it out and then outfit things. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. And I think that's a really good tip for designers that aren't in a situation where they're hourly, that they still should kind of keep track of how long something takes you so that you can sit down and say, okay, I charged this much for a logo and it took me this long to do and it kind of gives you an idea of a rough idea of what it takes you per hour cost wise to do something like that and and you should really do that with all of the different projects you're working on so if you're working on a magazine how long does that take or are you charging per page or however you decide to do that you're working on a brochure you kind of keep track of stuff there because that's how you can really figure out okay i did not charge enough for that brochure because a hundred dollars for that brochure and it took me 10 hours to work on i clearly didn't make enough money on that but it's good to have that information so that when you come into a situation where you're building a bigger contract you can really sit there and say okay i need to make this much an hour and especially if it's something you haven't worked on before and you really want that project and you really want to say, I really want to stretch my creativity and get into something different. But mm-hmm. how do I know how to price that? Well, that's where you can look back and say, okay, I need to make this much an hour. So that's what you can kind of use. And you know, certain projects took you certain amounts of time. And so you can kind of build that into it. And I think it's really important to make sure you're keeping track of that stuff. Cause I think a lot of designers do a lot of project based pricing and don't really look at how long something's taking and stuff like that, especially when they start out. Well, yeah. And you also need to make sure that you're justifying their expense with um, these list of deliverables. Um, That's how I can feel like I'm morally justifying my work as well. Um, So yeah. And it makes it clear to them too. So that they're not feeling like, not feeling like they're in the dark with or that how long they're getting so- hosed. Yeah. Yeah. Host, you know. Yeah. And also, it keeps that relationship uh, good. You know, as you start building out what your time is, you can start figuring out how much you are worth per day. And then maybe at some point you can flip to the structure that Tawny uses for her business by building out day by day. And yeah. 
you know, a client buys my day. Tuesdays, this client, this much money. So Yeah, that is that is an interesting way and I, and I'd be curious to talk some more with her about how how she made that flip. And I think a lot of that was realizing she needed to spend more time on her own business. And I laugh because I think that is the number one thing that I fall short of, but I definitely know it is when it comes to my clients. When I'm doing marketing consulting and I'm like, so what are you doing? And they're like, I'm too busy. And it's like, well, you do need to work on your business once in a while. So I'm just as guilty of that. And I'm trying really hard to to not be, but that's a tough thing to do. Yeah. So, so do you want to do your other story or do you want to talk about how to create those opportunities to kind of find and network and business stuff? I, I think I'm going to hold on to my other story because we're already about 35, 40 minutes already. So I yeah. do, do want to hold on to that story for another time. And okay we could definitely talk about how to make those opportunities in a, in the next podcast or in another podcast. Cause I think that is important. Um, yeah, those stories were kind of random, but hopefully you guys got something out of those. Um, like I said, procrastination is evil. Uh, contracts are good and figuring out how much your worth is good. So <laughs> I think there's some good points in there. So why don't we jump into recommendations you have not shared with me what your recommendation was going to be. So I'm really curious what yours is. Right. So the other day I went to a whiskey tasting over at Redstone Liquors here in, um, I believe it's Stoneham, Mass. Uh, They have a lovely little room set up in the back of their store where you can do all these whiskey tastings. And as I'm walking around the store uh, looking at stuff, um, I see the Dunkin' Donuts symbol. I'm like, (laughs) what? And I, well, I, oh, I hold on, hold on. What did you call it? Dunkin' Donuts. As Which it is not. <laughs> January first, it will be Dunkin'. <laughs> yes. But not everyone around here is from New England, so <laughs> we still call it, you know, Dunkin' Donuts for now. Yeah. So I see the logo, I see the colors, and then I see it's a co-branded product. Yep. Harpoon Ale has put out a Dunkin' Donuts coffee porter, and this thing was selling like. So quick up yeah, here in it's crazy. Yeah. Like it, it was almost gone the same day it came in. People buying it by the case. I only bought a six pack. Now, if you're not a porter person, you will not like this. But it is a really, really tasty uh coffee porter. I mean, Dunkin' Coffee, we're biased to it because it's the home team, but um yeah. So Harpoon is also a, another local brand. So these two brands kind of collaborated and came up with this i i really like liked it i like those special ales yeah i am not a porter person so i saw that and the first thing that went through my head is hell no but i did think the collaboration was really interesting and i kind of wondered if part of that was on purpose with the news of going to, to duncan because it's labeled as just duncan correct like it doesn't actually so. Yeah, I think it actually said just Duncan on it. So I think it was interesting that that kind of came out right around the same time that they were talking about the name change. So that's interesting. And, and I, I always love those kind of collaborations that happen. Yeah, it is Duncan. It is Duncan? Okay. Yep. It, it is interesting because a lot of small breweries are doing that around here in upstate New York. 
that they will invite the brewmasters from another brewery in and they'll do like a collaboration brew and it'll be a special limited edition brewery so it's or brew and it's interesting that two big powerhouse companies like that that are both local to massachusetts decided to do that collaboration so interesting that but you're not going to get me to try it because i am not a porter person at all <laughs> are you sure i can pop my last bottle in the mail <laughs> <laughs> no because i unfortunately i had one that was given to me by my sister-in-law that was a limited edition beer that she waited in line for and i just I told her eventually, but I did not have the heart to tell her how bad it was when it when she first gave it to me. I was like, you waited in line for this? I am so sorry. <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> but everybody has their different tastes and beer and stuff, so that's interesting. Yeah, so, pricing does not mean good. <laughs> the most expensive whiskey at the Whiskey Experience in Edinburgh is... Uh, awful it's like 300 a glass and it's terrible yeah well that's that's because it's been sitting there so damn long it's like acid then uh, yeah i agree with that especially when it comes to whiskey like price isn't it's the same thing with wine price isn't always an indicator um so my recommendation is the website meetup.com meetup is basically a site you can go to to find groups of people that have the same interests that you do and the reason I'm bringing this up is last weekend was Scott Kelby's Worldwide Photo Walk. And I totally had forgotten about it and I wasn't really thinking about it. Excuse me. And a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, are you interested in going? And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that was going on. So we made a plan to go. But what was interesting is we were only able to register from one of the walks because we ended up going to two because there was one in Albany in the morning and then one up in ben Bennington, Vermont in the afternoon evening well you can only sign up for one on the scott kelby's website for it but we went to meetup.com and found the photography groups that were putting them on and we were able to join both of them so we could get directions and information mm -hmm. and everything for that but i have used meetup for finding out about gaming events i've found out about other photography events about uh, hiking trips, camping trips. It's it's a great way to find a group of people that have a passion that's like yours or similar to yours. Or even if you want to try something completely different and you want to find a group of people that are doing that, it's a great way to do that. It's free to sign up. Um, and the nice thing is like there's a couple photography groups I belong to and they'll post small events in there. They'll post, Hey, I'm just going to be driving up to the Adirondacks this weekend. Is anybody else interested in going? And so you might only have a group of two or three people, or you may have like two, three years ago when I did the photo walk, we had like 40 people and wow. that was done through the meetup.com as well. So meetup's been around for a while. But you can search your area. You can search areas you're going to be in. So if you're traveling, you can find out about groups. So I would definitely recommend it, especially if you are freelance designers and you work for yourself and you work at home. It is very, very easy to get isolated. This is a great way to find people who have similar interests and get out of the house and go meet some people and have a good time outside of doing your business all the time. So I highly recommend meetup.com. We'll have a link to that. We'll have a link to your porter beer 
up what that is. And it, everywhere is selling it really quickly. So I'd be curious if everybody can even find it right now. Um, so I think that's going to be our show kind of all over the place. But it's funny because Carl and I like, we need to do this show. We have no topic. And I was like, eh, let's see where this goes. So hopefully you guys got something out of it. Uh, you got anything else before we go? Peace. All right. Remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. 